All right, and good morning to you. We are very glad that you're here. And I'll tell you right now, this is a good crowd. And I want to tell you, we had a really good crowd in first service too. So God is doing some great things. Amen? Let's give him a round of applause before, before the service. Amen. It was kind of cool. This is the way you want to start a Sunday, okay? So I'm pulling into the parking lot, and a gentleman pulls up in his pickup truck right behind me and says, Excuse me. And I said, Yes, sir. He said, hey, um, do y'all have an early preaching service here? And I said, yes, we do. We have a service at 8 o'clock. Well, that's great. Can anybody come? I said, yes, sir, anybody can come. He goes, I'll see you next week. Uh, isn't that a good way to start today? Yeah. Oh, listen, it gets better. So then we had a family walk in in, in first service. Um, and so finally I said, hey, how you doing? And, you know, I'm always wondering, have I met these people before? You know, so, so anyway, so I go back to her and say, have I met y'all before? And said, no, 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 we're, I said, y'all visiting? Yeah, we're visiting. Great. She goes, matter of fact, here's how, here's how it went down. She said, we, we, we attended your back to school event. I said, really? And she said, yeah. And then after that, some ladies, i.e. who's your neighbor, i.e. led by Carletta Hanks, um, shows up their house and they can't get in because they had COVID. Um, they go back later on, take them cookies and love them in Jesus' name. You'll love God, love people. And she said, so we're looking for a church, and we thought we'd start here. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Now that's, see, you're wondering what Sunday in the park and back to school and all this is about. That's what it's about. That's why you love people. And I always said this, you know, people say, we're not seeing any results um, from these events. You don't know that. Okay, you don't know what that seed's going to do that we threw in somebody's life. And I told somebody we were mowing these folks' yards back here behind us, our neighbors behind there, as an act of service to them. We mowed the yard for them. And I told, you know, I said, you know what? Here's the here's the deal. You know, I know this. We may not see immediate fruit, but when people are looking for God and looking for a church, guess where they're going to come? And they're going to come to the people that love them. Amen? So, yeah, it's just exciting. And then I have to just take a moment and say thank you um, to our praise team again. I am just amazed at the job they are doing uh, with the songs. Again, I know what I want to say today. And, and, and the team just did a great job presenting the message. Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know y'all had to enjoy when we all get to heaven. That was good. And then that one song had the whole gospel that Laney let out in, had the whole gospel in. It was just amazing and really good. So you're wondering why I'm being so chatty. Well, here's the deal. I know something you don't know. So here's the deal. So I stood up in, in um, first service, and, um, and with all the sincerity of my heart, I said, well, today is the last message in our biblical mindset training. We started back on, I think it was June the 18th. We started on June the 18th, and we've gone all the way through the end of September. And I said, today is the last message. Finale, no, no more. Caboose, we're done. And then we're not. Because I preached the first service, and, and, I, and I realized... You know, we knew, you know, we're kind of buttoned up against small groups in first service. And so I knew I had to be out on time, and um, I had a chunk left, and, and a chunk. And so I said, well, you know what? I, we, I said, y'all, y'all need to listen, talking about the first group. Y'all need to talk, y'all need to listen on, on version to get the rest of it. I no more walk in my office, and, and I guess it's from the Lord. He said, well, why don't you just finish that next week? I said, well, Lord, we could do that. So guess what we're going to do? 
We'll just add one more message to the biblical mindset train. So we ain't done. But we might be next week. You just never know. You just never know. So our sermon title today is Old Soldiers Never Die. And again, we kind of carried the military motif throughout the series this summer and into September. Now, the first week in October. Um, you might wonder where that came from. Now, I need to tell you, I, I, I know that I'm old. Okay, I know that. I don't feel old. I hope I don't act old. But truth is, I'll hold those amens. All right. And so, so anyway, and so I know, and I love history to boot. And we were, again, I just got so much time to talk now because we're going to shorten the message. Um, you know, we were down at Taylor Farms. Now, if you know where Taylor Farms is, not related to me. It just had to be named Taylor. It's about, oh, about three-fourths of the way down to Vienna, and they sell pumpkins. And if you're wanting some pumpkins, they got lots, and they got different varieties, and they're cheaper than any place you're going to find them. Taylor Farms. And so we were talking to him, and he has like seven or eight John Deere tractors there. He has this real old Ford pickup truck. And we were getting our picture made with the grandkids um, in front of that. And uh, he came over and was chatting with me. And um, he said, now this thing is 90 years old. I went, what? He said, yeah, it's 1931 model. And if you do the math, he's exactly right. That truck was 90 years old. Oh, that's just amazing. Well, I say all that to say this. This thing comes from 1951. Now, I know to you students, gosh, that's like, that's like you know, Moses time. That's like you know, part of the Red Sea time, you know? And, and some of you millennial guys, that's a really long time. I keep forgetting. Some of you guys were born in like 19, or excuse me, like, like 2007, and now you're adults. I'm going, holy moly. Well, well, this comes from 1951, and it was a song that was written, it's a ballad uh, written about the soldiers, and, and, and male and female, who fought in the Pacific uh, during the, against the Japanese in World War II. And um, I really didn't know that part of the story. But in the song, the, the catchphrase, the part that goes over and over again is, old soldiers never buy, die, but they simply fade away. Old soldiers never die, they simply fade away. Well, what I knew about the saying was, it's this catchphrase, was a few years later, and a guy named General MacArthur, and students, I hope you've learned about General MacArthur. He's a famous general in World War II and in the Korean War. Well, he got in trouble. He decided he was going to butt heads with Harry Truman, and he was the president. And if you know anything about Harry Truman, Harry Truman he's a strong-willed dude. So you got General MacArthur, who was a strong-willed dude, and you got Harry Truman, who was a strong-willed uh, dude, and they butt heads, okay? And when you mess with the president, especially one like Harry Truman, you're going to lose. So even though MacArthur was hugely popular, he fired him. He said, you're done. Come home. He was in Korea. He said, come on home. And so he comes home, forced into retirement. And so he's addressing Congress. And he stands up, and it's really quite famous. You can Google it and hear it for yourself. But it goes something like this. He said, old soldiers never die. They simply fade away. As I end my military career, I too will simply fade away. Goodbye. And he walks, off, he walks off the stage. And boy, you know, both houses of Congress explode. He was just so popular. And that's where the phrase really grabbed root. Old soldiers never die. And, and I said, that is so true 
of us. We are, now listen, if you are a Jesus follower, you are a soldier for Christ. And my hope today is when you leave this place, you will understand that, so, that soldiers of the cross never die. Old soldiers of the cross never die. If we had time, and we don't, we could so compare the end times, the last chapters of Elijah and Paul, and both of them were incredible men of God. But one ended very differently than the other. You remember, you remember as we, two weeks ago, when we looked at that final message about Elijah, he was so discouraged, he's so depressed, he's in a very dark spot. He gets to the place in the wilderness, and he says to God, God, I want to die. I want to die. Then he goes on, and he prays this bitter prayer. He says, take my life, because I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words... They failed to bring revival, and I failed to bring revival, and then they are dead, and if Jezebel has her way, and she will, he believes, then he too would die. It's just a, just a dark contrast. And then you've got Paul, who spent a whole chunk of his time in Roman prisons, and in fact, when he writes 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is really the final, his final words, you know, we're going to hear, you know, he's going to die. He knows he's going to die, but he doesn't have that darkness. He has the brightness. He doesn't see death as an end. He sees death as a beginning. He doesn't, and again, I'll say this a little bit later on. He doesn't try to you know, use death as an escape. He wants to embrace it as the way to eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to look at today the words that he gives us really in verse number 6. Look at the words that he gives us and see how we can draw that from 2,000 years ago right into our lives today. I hope you'll find it challenging, and I hope you'll find it interesting, all right? So we want to start our, our story in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6, the first part. This thing is like, excuse the word, it's not a bad word, you know, excuse the word, but this thing is pregnant with meaning. It wants to give birth to meaning, okay? So he says... As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. There are three segments there that are very important. First off, he says, as for me. Now, that might bring to memory a guy from the Old Testament named Joshua. He was nearing the end of his life, and the children of Israel were being their normal rebellious against God's self. And, and, he, and Joshua says, okay, listen you got to choose. you got to choose. Who are you going to serve? You're going to serve these gods or these gods are Jehovah God. And here's what he said. You usually hear it around Father's Day or someplace like that. He said in Joshua 24, he said, as for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we have the same truth now. Paul speaking thousands of years later. He says, as for me. He's making a decision. He goes, listen. He goes, I can't speak for you. Terry, I can't speak for you. I can't speak for you. Hey, Donna, I can't speak for you. Bill, I can't speak for you either. He said, but as for me, my life, he knows, 
My life has been poured, already been poured out. Let's stop right there. Here's what I want you to take on. This is a big takeaway. All of us, this doesn't take rocket science, all of us has a life. All of us have a life. Students, you have a life. And you are going to pour that life out. All of us have a life, and we're going to pour that life out. We're going to, we're going to, sp- how, we're going to choose how we spend that life. We're going to pour it out. How would you pour your life out? How do you intend to spend your life? Hey, students, have you thought about that? Have you, have you chewed on that any? I mean, I know you're like, you know, some of y'all are like maybe, what, 11, 12, 13, 14, all the way up to maybe 15, 16, 17. But have you thought what you're going to do with your life? How are you going to pour it out? You know, you know how it is in the world. You, you know, you know some, some people, and you know these people, okay, maybe it's already in your plan. You know, some people take their lives and say, it's all about my career. My goal, I'm going to pour my life out in making money. I want, I want to have a strong career, and I want to have a lot of money in the bank. You know, and, then, and then some people come along, and they say, no, that's not it. I want titles. I want titles. I want to make sure that when people see my name and I've got that title, that they respect me, that they respect me. I had a friend. He was a, he was a pastor down at First Baptist Church of Anna, and it was a pretty good-sized church uh, back in those days. And so, so his name was, was Charles Owen, and everybody, he almost commanded it, called him Dr. Owen. Well, you know a little bit about me. I love to stir the pot. I just love to stir the pot. So, so I met Dr. Owen, you know, and so the next time I saw him, I walked up to him. I said, hi, Chuck. You know, like that. But, you know, for somehow, somehow, and by the way, I've got a huge respect for people who have doctor degrees, but I just want to mess with him. And so, so anyway, so somehow we bonded, and everybody else would call Dr. Owens, you know, Dr. Owens. I called him Chuck, and it was a thing that we had. But the title was so important to him. It was just so, so important to him. Of course, of course now, sometimes hobbies, you know, you know, you know, when you get a little bit older, you know, it might be golf or something like that, fishing or something. You get in there and they pour, they pour their life in it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with fishing and there's nothing wrong with golf unless you pour your life into it. It becomes what your life is all about. And then there's the toy thing. You know, the right truck, the right car, the right house, the right boat, all those different things. We have those different things. You've heard the saying before. Have you heard the saying before that, you know, he with the most toys wins in the end? You heard that before? Oh, it's big a while back. And, and, you know, it's still true today. And, you know, in culture, they say, I, you know, when I die, I'll be counted success when I have the biggest house, the biggest boat, and the biggest car. Those are all things that people pour their lives out into. So you're going to pour your life into. Jay, you're going to pour your life out. The question is, what are you going to pour it out into? And I know most of you guys, that's generic, gender generic, guys and gals, most of you know Jesus. You've made that commitment, but still we have to come back and ask the question. Aren't you glad I wasn't going to stand there the whole time? You know, you still come down, what are you going to pour your life out? Hey, congregation, what are you going to pour your life out to? Well, Paul's decision was easy. He said, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. I said, you know what's really cool about Paul? You know, you can believe this. You know, here's Paul, and he's got all these titles. He's got all this prestige. He's got all this power, and argumentatively, he had all the wealth. And he gave it all up. 
for Jesus, for God. In fact, you know what he said? He said, this is crazy. He, and, and again, this, this is one of those words you really don't say in church too often. But he said, you know, all this stuff, all the titles, all the prestige, all that stuff is manure. It's manure. It's junk. But the word is manure. He said, I count all this other stuff that I might be tempted to pour my life into it. I count it as manure. See, here's the deal. You know, his life had been poured out as an offering to God. But listen to this. No offering to God is ever wasted. No offering to God is wasted. Man, you could, you could live your life. Students, again, you could live your life and you could become a doctor. You could become a lawyer. You become, you know, a person of prestige and wealth. But, but, you can still waste your life. What's poured out for God is never wasted. What is poured out for self usually is. Usually is. So I want you to think about, I want to challenge you to live your life, to live your life, to pour your life out for the cause of the kingdom. That's exactly what Paul did. What does that look like? Take around and look at the robin blue shirts. There are several around. You know what that looks like? Love God, love people. We, we pour our lives out. If you really want to boil down Paul's life to four words, he loved God and he loved people. He, was, he said, you know what he said? You know what he said about the, his fellow Jewish brothers who were still lost? He, listen to this. He said, I could wish myself a curse from God if it brought them to Christ. He said... This is hard to even say, but it's in the Bible. He said, I would be willing to spend eternity in hell if my, brothers in, if my brothers in the faith became my brothers in Christ. How how powerful is that? He said, I know my life's been poured out, but it's been poured out as an offering to God. So what's our teaching point? Here it is. As Christ followers, as Christ followers... It is our privilege. Now, notice that word. Did I say duty? Nope. Did I say obligation? No. Did I say guilt trip? No. It is our privilege to use our lives up, to allow our lives to be consumed, not in the pursuit of toys, not in the pursuit of hobbies, not in the pursuit of the biggest house and the biggest car or the biggest bank, bank account. It is our privilege to use our lives up for him who was sacrificed for us. Oh, I wanted to put the word slaughter there, but I didn't know if you could handle it. Jesus was slaughtered on the cross. And he was slaughtered not as a martyr. He wasn't murdered. He was sacrificed. He laid his life down on a cross that we could have forgiveness of sins. We are not to be marble statues, it says, in some fine hall, but rather a living Sacrifice. Excuse me. Let me tell you a story about two candles. A true story about two candles. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, about five or six years, um, Gene and I were remodeling our bedroom, and we went to either Hobby Lobby or Pier One. Probably Hobby Lobby. 
and probably on the 90% off aisle. And we're there, and there was this sconce, uh, the kind you put on the wall. It was made of metal, you know, it had the fancy design, and it came out and it had a little place where you put a candle. So Judy and I go to the candle aisle, and we find this beautiful candle. It was, it was gold and yellow. It had a swirl mixture to it, and we placed that on the sconce. Not to be burned, but to look at. So the years went by. Year one, year two, three, four, and if it was five, and it probably was six. And so recently we had our house painted. And so we take down this candle and take down this sconce. And I'm looking at the candle, and frankly, it's, you know, Wax attracts dust, and so it was, it was covered with this thin layer of dust, and in the process of that, it, you know, the colors had faded. What was once the vibrant golden yellow is now like a tanned and off-white, and I looked at the wick, never lit. You know what I did with it? Threw it in the trash. Threw it in the trash. That's the life, that's the life of the believer who pours his offering, pours his life out into something not godly. It may not be bad. It's just not for the kingdom. We have a purpose. The purpose of the candle was to give light. It never was used, so we threw it in the trash. Enter candle number two, yesterday. We had our grandson, Will, spend the night. I was in my office upstairs studying and preparing uh, for a funeral for that time. And I opened the door... And this aroma, this scent, just walks and just embraces me. And it's the scent I know instantly. It's the scent of a candle from Bath, Bath and... What's that place, Judy? Bath and Body? And it was leaves. It's the most awesome fall scent there is. And all the way down, all the way down from the kitchen, this aroma... Walks through the dining room, through the kitchen, up the stairs, and to the hallway, and greets me as I open the door. Instantly, I knew what it was. I go downstairs, and I say, oh, Judy, it smells like fall. Yes, it did. And the candle burned several hours that day, and already it's about, oh, a third of the way burned. And given just a few more days, the candle will disappear. It will be gone. But here is something you need to remember. It was burned in its purpose. The candle was burnt, was bought to be lit. And when we lit it, it let this incredible scent waft our world. That's the life of the believer. We, God did not save us to sit as a marble statue in some hall. God did not send, uh, make us to be and save us to be a candle to hang on the wall and gather dust. We are, we are saved by Christ for the purpose of letting a sweet aroma of Christ fill the world that we have. Amen. Fill the world that we have. And that's, by the way, that's what's going to happen this afternoon. There is going to be a sweet aroma waft through um, Harrisburg Park. It will not be the aroma of, of popcorn and snow cones and candy and hot dogs I'm talking about. It will be the aroma of Christ. 
So we got to make sure that we use our lives up. It's a privilege to use our lives up you know, for him who was sacrificed for us. God does not intend for us to be a marble statue in some fine hall. Paul said it best in Romans 12, 1. He says, you know, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, I beseech you to present your bodies as living sacrifice. Listen, in view of this, in view of the sacrificial death of cross, in, of the cross, in view of the empty tomb where Christ defeated death, in view of those mercies, I urge you, I beseech you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not a candle on the wall that's never lit. Not a car in the garage that's never driven. Not a light that's never flipped on. A living sacrifice set apart, holy, and pleasing to God. And this is your true worship. When Trey prayed in the first service, he said, Father, may we truly worship you. And what he didn't know and what I knew was in this translation, it's perfectly defined. True worship is when we present our bodies, when we we pour our bodies out, when we choose to pour our bodies out for the kingdom of God, not not for the things of the world, but for the things of the kingdom. What a difference it is. And, oh, you'll find no higher privilege. You know, it's... It's something that I do every once in a while. You know, you know, we talk about this idea and this thought, you know, of careers and all that. Do you ever read the obituaries? Trust me, I don't make a habit of it. But like, for instance, tomorrow at 1 o'clock, or excuse me, 11 o'clock, I'll be standing before a group of people and talking about Jim Vessel's life. You know, he died this week. And if you read Jim, Jim's obituary, it says that he attended, and actually he was a member of uh, the First Baptist, not First Baptist Church. I'm sure Chris would love to have him. You know, but you know, he's a member of the Dorisville Baptist Church. I want to challenge you to do something. Take some time and go to Strickland's funeral home or go to Warwick's funeral home and just read some of the obituaries. Now look, I'm not exaggerating. I sometimes read them with bated breath. I start reading, they were born, and they had this many children. They did this with their life, and I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. I'm just hoping. I'm just waiting. I'm just hoping. God. But so often, he's not there. He's not there. And so sad. So we want to make sure we live our lives that, that when you die and your obituary comes out, it may not say it this way, but you, they know, they know, they know, they know. The people who, who you married, the people you gave birth to, the people who call you friend, the people where, where you, you know, have a church, you know, they know that you were a living sacrifice for Christ, that your priority was Jesus, a living sacrifice. It's your true, true worship. So then we get to the second part of verse number six. And you're probably seeing why we're going to have a sermon next week. And in verse six, the second part, he says something that's almost shocking. Okay, now again, we have Elijah. Elijah, in his twisted state of darkness, just just assumes that he's going to die. Jezebel's going to have her way. 
And, you know, God's not big enough, and so he's going to die. But Paul knows. He's under at least house arrest and probably in a prison. He knows that there will become a day in a few days, and actually it's a few months, a few months, that a guard will knock on his door. Well, he won't knock. He'll come in. They will take him to a public spot, and they're going to decapitate him. They're going to cut his head off. He will be a martyr for Christ. He knows this. And so he writes this. The time of my death is near. And see, this is so different. This is so different. You know, both men saw a funeral in their future. Both men saw a funeral in their future, but they saw them totally different. You know, when you, when you look at the life of Elijah, he feared death. Paul, on the other hand, embraced death. Um, one saw death as escape from a bad situation, and, and the other saw death as a home going. Well, one saw death as an end, and the other saw death as a beginning. It was so radically, radically different. I've already asked you, how are you going to pour your life out? My second question is, how do you view death? Do you understand for the believer that the end is not the end? Do you understand for the believer that the end is never, never the end? So we have these words from Paul. And Paul, again, wrote 1 Corinthians 15. And it's one of those scriptures that you either hear at a funeral or you hear at Easter, one of the two. If you go to the funeral home, you'll probably hear it. If you come to church on Easter, there's a good chance you'll hear it. It's 1 Corinthians 15, and it starts with verse 54a. And here's what he says. He goes, then, he says, then, when our dying bodies. Now, again, again, don't, don't get morbid on me. Don't do Debbie Downer on me. But the truth is, from the moment you take your first breath as a baby, your body is destined to die. God did not make this body an eternal body. He's got one coming for you if you trust Jesus, but this body is a temporary home. So from the moment we're born, we begin to die. So Paul's just being honest and says, when our dying bodies have been, whoa, 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 have been transformed into bodies that will never die. So we've got this broken body you know, we got this body that, that was not destined to work forever, and, and he's going, we're going to be transformed into a body that is destined forever. You know, that word transformed is our word metamorphosis in the Greek. It's, it means, you know, it's, it's the caterpillar, it's the caterpillar who crawls into the cocoon and boom, comes out as a butterfly. This is a caterpillar body. But I got news for you. There's a butterfly body coming. Come on now. Amen. There's a butterfly body coming. This is not all there is. Our dying bodies have been transformed to bodies that will never die. And then this scripture will be fulfilled. Well, well, script, well Paul, what scripture is that? He, he quotes it for us in verse 54, the second part. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is, sw death is consumed in victory. So here was death, this, this, this abominable snowman of thing called death, this squash, sasquash of, of, of monster of death is consumed. It's consumed in victory. 
other words, the victory, the victory of Christ after the cross, the victory of the empty tomb consumes death. As a song, and we sing it every once in a while, and I love this word, this one phrase. I remember he says, Oh, grave, how grave was your defeat. Oh, grave, how grave was your defeat. So death is swallowed up in victory. Hey, oh, death, where's your victory? It's been consumed. Death has no power. The abominable snowman has teeth pulled. There's no power. The lion's been declawed. There's no power. The bomb's been defused. There is no power. There's no victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? There isn't one. It's been taken away by the resurrection of Christ. Then, then Paul goes on and finishes up and says in verse 56 and 57, you know, he says, so, so for sin is the sting that results in death. Okay? So sin is the sting that results in death. You know, people go, what, why don't God do something? Well, he created this perfect world. There was no sickness, sorrow, or pain. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against him. And the sin, when sin came into the world, all the junk came into the world. And you say, well, that answers the question. Why didn't he do something? He did do something. He makes it possible for every man, woman, and child in this world to have their sins forgiven and spend eternity. Not not 60 years, not 50 years, not 80 years. He, He gives them the possibility of living forever with him in heaven. He did do something, and it was a pretty good something. It was a pretty good something. Hmm. For sin is the sting, or sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. The purpose of the law is to reveal our sin to us and show our need for our Savior. That's why God gave the law. The law was never meant as a pathway to heaven. It's a revealer. You know, the Bible says, thou shalt not lie. It's said, well, gee, I've lied, so I broke the law. The, the law is a revealer. But then, verse 57. But thank God. But thank God. He gives us victory. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul could look down the road and see his death was near, but he didn't fear death because he knew Jesus had defeated death. Now look at me. You need to get that. I need to get that. I need to understand. I don't know how many years I've got left. You don't know. I told him in first service, there's this website called Death Clock. And you can actually put in different information about you, you know, your, your height, weight, your medical history, and your parents' medical history, and it projects a death that you're going to die. I didn't go, not going to go. Okay, I'll just leave that to them, all right? But the truth is, we are going to die. But if we know Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear it. We must not fear it. Because he overcame well, there's a quote by Billy Graham. This course written when he was alive, and he finally died just right at 100 years. Someday, you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it, he said. I shall be more alive than I am now. 
I will, ha I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Uh, you may not know who Billy Graham is. I hope you do. But he's just, he was just the, well, the best known Protestant evangelist in the world. He, he is a, such a man of integrity. And what he said was true. And sure enough, there came a day when we heard Billy Graham was dead, physically. But like he said, don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just change my address. Amen. Tomorrow, well, I will stand before that congregation at 11 o'clock. And I'm so glad Tina reminded me of this. I think it happened out in the foyer, Jim Vessel. Jim Vessel, when he started coming here, um, he's Dakota's grandfather, in case you don't know. He would bring Dakota and stay in the car. He didn't want anything to do with church. I think one day he must have got bored because he came in and got a coffee and a donut kind of thing. And, and then he started coming to worship and eventually to a small group. But one day, I think it was out there, Jim says, how does a guy get saved around here? Isn't that great? How does a guy get saved around here? And we shared with him about Jesus. And tomorrow, I'm going to be to tell you that Jim Vessel is more alive today than he's ever been before. Amen. Come on. See, and don't you, don't y'all forget this. Your mama, if she knew Jesus, your daddy, if she knew Jesus, your grandmother, your grandfather, your child that you lost, if they knew Jesus, were under God's grace. They're more alive than they've ever been before. So if you're here today and you know Jesus, take that home. I've, been, I've tried to ask God, God help me to get the folks something they can take home and apply. Well, that's something you can take on by. Pour, pour your life out for the kingdom. And relish the promise that when you die because of Christ, you don't have to fear death. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if you don't know that, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And we would love to share with you about how you can know Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with religion. Nothing to do with how many times you go to church. It's all about grace. And it's all about faith. And next week, and this is why it was important, there's just a whole chunk. Now, after Paul says, the time of my death is near, he says some things that were very, very important. I just didn't feel like we could just rush to them. So we'll talk about it next week if you'll come back. Now, it's our privilege today... Um, to have the Lord's Supper, to observe the Lord's Supper. And as you probably know, but I'll explain it. You know, it was Thursday night before he died on Friday. And he wanted to give the disciples something to remember him by. And so he's sitting at a table observing the Passover. And he gets a loaf of bread and breaks it and then passes it around the table. Um, and, then, and then what happens is he tells the boys to take off a, a piece. And he said, now listen, this is my body this is my body which is broken for you. For you. I want you to take, eat, and remember to me. I want you to remember this.
I want you to remember this. And so it's so cool that 2,000 years ago, you know, Jesus gives us this thing to remind us, to remind us what he did for us. And then, and then he takes a, a chalice, a cup, and, and he takes and passes that around, and it would have been a common cup, and they would have each taken a sip. And he said, now listen, he said, this represents the blood I'm going to spill for you tomorrow. It's, it's a new deal. It's a new covenant. The old's passed away. The old, the old idea, the old covenant of the law passes away, and this is a new covenant of grace. And I'm going to spill this blood tomorrow, and it's, it's a new covenant. It's a new idea. It's God's new idea. And so I want you to do this. When you drink this tonight, I want you to remember it. And so here we are 2,000 years ago, and churches in different ways, you know, observe the Lord's table by eating some bread and drinking the juice. And it's just a reminder. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to have a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask you to wait just a few, a couple minutes. This is a pretty long song. The team's got a great one. Uh, in remembrance. And so I'm going to give you a second first. So when, De- when Brent comes down, um, if you need to talk to a pastor about what to do with Jesus, or if you're just burdened, the altar's going to be open, you go ahead and do that. And then I'll, I'll give you, a, I'll tell you, okay. And then after just a couple minutes or a minute, then, then we're going to go ahead and allow you to come. I'm going to have you stay seated. And then what I want you to do is, uh, after I tell you, I want you to stand, you know, as, as you feel led, when you're ready, I want you to go to different tables. There's two back there, and there's two here, and this table's gluten-free um, if you need that. And I'd like for you to go and get your elements, and it'll be stacked. There'll be bread on, on top, uh, juice on top, bread on the bottom. And uh, then go back to your chair, and then we're going we're gonna to do remembrance of him all together as a church family. So um, that's what we're going to do now. And, and, and while we're waiting there, while we're just giving people, in case there's a decision to make, we'll give them time. Um, you can pray and thank God that he defeated death and you don't have to fear death, okay? All right, well, let's pray. Father, boy, thank you for your word and thank you for the truth of the word. Thank you that death has no hold on us. Help us to remember, God, we're going to pour our life out. Help us to pour it out for you. Because when we pour out for you, it will never, never be wasted. I pray for a friend who might be here today who needs to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Give them the courage to step out and talk to myself or Brother Brand. Father, for the church family, help us to enjoy this time together. Help us to remember that's about remembering. We ask your blessings, Father, on the bread and your blessings on the juice as we partake together. And I pray in your precious name. Amen.